Peace Corps gives us a chance to show a side of our country which is too often submerged. Our desire to live in peace, our desire to be of help. There can be no greater service to our country and no source of pride more real than to be a member of the Peace Corps of the United States. Hello everyone and welcome to the My Peace Corps Story podcast. I'm your host, Tyler Lloyd, and I'm here to help tell the stories of current and returned Peace Corps volunteers. If you like what you hear today, be sure to let me know over at MyPeaceCorpsStory.com and connect with me on Instagram at MyPeaceCorpsStory or on Facebook by searching for My Peace Corps Story. Additionally, head on over to iTunes and leave a review for the show. Five-star reviews are extremely appreciated, but more than anything, I want to know what you think so I can better serve my audience. I'd like to give a shout-out and special thanks to CD Cottom One. They write, wonderful podcasts, five stars. I love what I've listened to so far and can't wait to hear more episodes. I'm so grateful to everyone who has shared their story and to Tyler for making those stories heard. CD Cottom One, thank you. Today on the show, we have Liz Fanning. Liz served in Morocco from 1993 to 1995 as a Parks, Wildlife, and Environmental Education volunteer. Her title was Rural Socioeconomic Planner, but really, she says that her role was to listen to the people living in a small village along the edge of a national park in the high Atlas Mountains of Morocco. She's extremely grateful for her experience as a Peace Corps volunteer, but actually considers Core Africa an organization that she founded to be her Peace Corps project. It took more than 20 years for her to get started, but as she says, better late than never. Join me in welcoming Liz Fanning, founder of Core Africa, to the My Peace Corps Story podcast. This is this is this is this is my my Peace Corps Peace Corps my Peace Corps my Peace Corps story story story. Hi, my name is Liz Fanning, and this is my Peace Corps story. Well, thank you, Liz. I'm very excited to talk to you today. How are you doing? I'm doing great, thanks. Thanks for having me. So just starting off, uh, so our listeners know, mm-hmm. can you tell them a little bit about yourself, first starting with your, your service, and then uh, what you're up to now? Um, sure. I am from New York City. I served in um, Morocco, 1993 to 95. I uh, was an um, environmental educator in the Highest Mountains of Morocco in a small village, um, and I came back and I got a graduate degree at the Peace Corps Scholarship at NYU um, and have been a fundraiser mostly. A few years ago, I started something called Core Africa, which is Peace Corps for Africans. So Africans can serve like we do in their countries. Mm-hmm. Okay. You served in Morocco. Is there anything that you want people to know about Morocco? You know, because you, you work there now uh, through through Core Africa, mm-hmm. and you, you serve there. For people who are listening to this who just don't know anything about Morocco, maybe they can find it on a map, <laughs> but not much more than that. Not much more than that. You know, what what would you like people to know about the country that you served in? Oh boy, that's a lot. Um, it's interesting because I lived there for two years in the mid '90s, but you know, in Peace Corps, and then I lived there for the last few years. Um, to start Core Africa, but in, you know, what's like the Upper East Side in Casablanca. Um, so very different experiences. My, Morocco is a huge, diverse, interesting, very advanced country, but there are still places um, where you can go back in time a thousand years, mm-hmm. um, and things are very much the same as they were 20 years ago. Um, it's, uh, it's got everything. It's got four-lane highways and museums and culture and big business, and it's also got 
you know, thousands and thousands of very small towns where people live, you know, very um, simple and complex lives like anywhere. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a very diverse geographically, the, the Sahara and the mountains and the ocean. It's, uh, you know, on the corner, the northwest corner of Africa. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, you know, it's the bridge to Africa. Okay. And then I'm really interested to hear a little bit about the work that you did as a volunteer, given that you were in the parks, wildlife, and environment education sector, yes, which which no, which no longer really exists, or I guess there's some people to do that work, but it's enveloped under, you know, the environmental sector. So mm-hmm. so what does that entail? What did, what did you do as a volunteer? Well, um, we were the first uh, volunteers in this sector, and we were assigned to the Tubecon National Park, which was... Um, really not much more than lines on a map um, in the Ministry of Waters and Forests office. Um, they uh, were trying to come up with a plan to conserve the natural resources of the area, and they really didn't have a lot of um, understanding or you know good relationships with the people who lived up there. They were different. Um, they were Amzeh, uh, as opposed to Arabs, spoke a different language, lived you know completely different world. So they wanted us to live up there and help them understand how people live and um, come up with creative ways to help uh, conserve the environment. So um, it was very nebulous. It was very different than most Peace Corps volunteers who are English teachers and they go in with a lesson plan and they do what they're supposed to do. It was more, you know, live there and develop relationships. And um, so we did small things like solar oven projects, um, <laughs> which was not very good. Because uh, we had to have these big pieces of glass, and and just to get the glass up there was, you know, it was very, the eyes were low. It was going to survive the trip, and then it just wasn't culturally appropriate. Um, but it was interesting just talking about why we we're doing that, and that there was an environmental crisis because people have been living as they have for hundreds and thousands of years, and all of a sudden we come in and tell them it's a crisis. It's hard to make that connection. Um, we lived in the summers uh, with the in the Azibs with the shepherds, where the shepherds bring the animals for the whole summer, um, the highest part of the of the mountains because the grass regenerates, and so they have these communities where they live for a couple of months, the summer months, with all the animals. And uh, we studied the ancient tribal laws that govern grazing, just to try to get a baseline information on who owns what, how things work. Um, it was interesting. It was fascinating, but it was really just a, a benchmark study. So I don't know what came of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but we did do a project uh, with uh, my my site mate, who was also in the park, but on the other side of the mountains. So he was about ten hours away from me. But we both did this Azib project, and um, we asked the people. We we brought the park officials up for the first time meeting with these with the people in the villages and they came together they recognized that the uh they wanted to um they all had the same interests they wanted to save the the their resources so the people agreed to give up some of their grazing animals in exchange for the park donating fruit tree orchards to replace their income and diversify their diet and so it was a win-win and it was a kind of process that was Um, you know, obvious, not rocket science, but getting people together, listening, helping them, you know, discuss their, their interests and, you know, their shared goals and come up with something that benefits everyone. It was a process that, that worked. And Mm -hmm. so Core Africa sort of stems from that. It was more going in without a plan and, and asking people, helping them figure out how to help themselves. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can definitely understand the, the going in without a plan. I was an agriculture volunteer, mm-hmm. so I didn't have a have a classroom or you know a health center right. to go to. It's go out in the field and work with the farmers, right? And see what they need, but yeah, Real trust, mm-hmm. bring in innovation and help make sure they understand why to use it, how to use it, make sure they're using it properly. Mm-hmm. These people are living very much you know on the edge day to day. I was going to say paycheck to paycheck, but, you know. Uh, harvest to, to harvest. Harvest yeah. to harvest. And, you know, they really, for their own self-preservation, they can't take risks of trying something new. And so, mm-hmm. you know, that's that's part of the problem, bringing somebody in with the outside perspective and, you know, the time and um, who lives with them as they do is a really big part of the process. Mm-hmm. And then I, I know as well as you do that Peace Corps is filled with highs and lows and one of the, one of the questions I just mm-hmm. like to ask, you know, what are some of your favorite memories of Peace Corps? And, and you wrote about, you know, doing magic tricks. I don't know if you want to talk about that or if there's something else that has come to mind since I asked you this question, you know, earlier this week. <laughs> um, I mean, you know, in Peace Corps, the highs are really high and the lows are really low. It's such an intense experience. Um, it's uh, it's it's great now. You know, we have our own volunteers. In fact, we had Core Africa volunteers uh, living in my site, uh, assigned to my site, um, twenty years later, which was amazing. And seeing them go through the same thing and such similar experiences as I had, actually, which is so fascinating. Um, just building trust, just sort of becoming comfortable. It takes a long time to for things not to feel so foreign and to start to feel like part of the family and to start to really love the place and feel like you're part of the place. That's, that's part of the transformative experience of the Peace Corps, which is, and Corps Africa, which is um, getting out of your comfort zone and over time becomes comfortable. Mm-hmm. And then you had alluded to, I guess, some sort of story about falling in the river. Oh, gosh. That was one of my worst days. <laughs> um, yeah, that was on a hike up to the Azibs for the mm-hmm. first time, and it was a killer hike. I mean, it was just so hard, and we were with this long, you know, caravan of people hiking up, and and I was not prepared for. It. I just didn't know what to expect. It was like climbing Tubka, which is the biggest mountain in North Africa, um, and uh, so I was I was having a hard time. And we finally reached the peak, and we got down to this camp spot, and I had to jump over, you know the the creek to get to the camp spot and I just completely fell in and got and it, that was it for me I was I'd had it I was done <laughs> and uh but it actually ended up turning around turning everything around for me because you know things couldn't get worse from there mm-hmm. I changed my clothes and I felt better and had a good meal and from there on it was a downhill stroll to the to the Uzebs. so I guess that wasn't so awful mm-hmm. <laughs> but at the time it felt um challenging Mm-hmm. You know, I, d- I definitely want to get into talking, you know, more about Core Africa. Mm-hmm. But before we transition there, you know, are there any mm-hmm. stories, you know, since this is the My Peace Corps Story podcast, any stories or memories that you have that are, you know, have stayed with you from your time in Morocco that you would like to share with people? Well, I mean, the, the biggest takeaway for me and the biggest, I think, challenge during my service was the fact that I didn't know what I was doing there. I, you know, I just felt like, what am I supposed to, how am I supposed to help these people? I, I barely speak the language. I, you know, I don't understand the complexities of what's going on here and why things happen the way they do. Um, even if I live there for my whole service, um, it just, it just really always felt frustrating to me 
um, and it started to come together years after my service. Um, when I was working in international development and I was working with a lot of Moroccan staffers um, who, they, they, they would have been a lot better at their jobs if they had started their careers as Peace Corps volunteers. They needed the experience of having lived in poverty in order to have the kind of understanding you could only get from living it. They didn't know they didn't know that. Um, they were Moroccans. They saw themselves as the saviors. It was their job to help these people. And they didn't understand that if you want to help someone, the best thing to do is listen to them. So I think it's something that a lot of Peace Corps volunteers share. And, I, you know, it's, there's, there's enormous value to having Americans go over there and live in these cultures and learn languages. And, you know, I was the only American in the whole valley. Nobody had ever met an American, and I did speak um, Tashlahate, this local language, and it was amazingly um, respectful. And people just were so honored that an American spoke their language and lived with them as they did. That is really powerful. That's an important thing. Um, that is something that Peace Corps, you know, it just, it's unique in the world. Um, Corps Africa is more about people in their own countries, but we work a lot of the times with Peace Corps volunteers. And I think the combination of having somebody from the area who's going to stay in the area or who's going to stay in the country, it was missing. And it starts to, if I'd had Corps Africa or Corps Africa volunteer to collaborate with, I think when I was a volunteer, I would have been really... Um, I would have found my place a lot easier, mm -hmm. I think. I think I would have been a lot more effective, and I, I would have been, I would have understood my role better than trying to do something that really I shouldn't have done, mm -hmm. I shouldn't have tried to do. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. No, it, it does. <laughs> okay. It, I mean, ha having lived a similar experience, I, I think it, it does It does for me. Yeah. Now, getting into Core Africa. So you you left Morocco, and mm -hmm. when when did you start Core Africa? What was the you know the, I guess leading up from getting back on a getting on a plane and coming back to the U.S. and then eventually Core Africa being founded? What was that timeline, and what led you eventually to to found this organization? Well, it, it was twenty years later. Um, I came back, and I was a fundraiser for the ACLU for a lot of years, um, for other organizations, um, and I found myself working for international development again. In, a, in an organization that had projects in Morocco. And I went to see the projects that had been a big success. Um, they had one project that um, was a two-year USAID-funded project to, to get girls to participate, participate in school. And this project, after this two-year effort, um, girl partic girls' participation went from 10% to 98%, which was incredible. And yeah, I was that's a nice metric. Nice metric. Very nice metric. Um, I was the development director. I was using that metric mm -hmm. to raise a lot of money from donors who wanted to do good in the world. And I actually took a group of donors, of women donors, to see this girls' education project. It was a great feel-good thing, and it was just a chance to help the donors understand, you know, a cultivation. And I went up there, and, and it turned out that the girls were not in school. Um, they put on a good show for us. But, uh, mm -hmm. you know, I did speak to Hachalade. I did ask the women, so are your girls in school? And they said, oh, no, they stay home and help me with the rugs. And it was devastating. And I went back, and nobody wanted to hear it. My boss didn't want to hear it because we had proposals pending with USAID and other places. USAID didn't want to hear it because all they care about is their metrics. Mm -hmm. And it was just awful. I mean, it was just so um, frustrating 
and because it was all with the best of intentions. Everybody was trying to help, all this money and, and everything. And, and the Moroccan staff were just making up these metrics, and it was what everybody wanted to hear, and nobody questioned them because, you know. Mm-hmm. And we were using these people. We really were. We, um, we got what we wanted out of it, and they could tell. You know, I mean, I don't, I don't really know exactly what they thought, um, but I, I think there was harm done there. Mm-hmm. There was money. I mean, it was $1.2 million in this valley. Yeah. I, it's like going back in time a thousand years. I have no idea how they spent so much of yeah, that but money. Where did it, where did it go? I mean, who knows? They, I think it would have been a lot better if they just gave every single person in that village a thousand yeah, okay. dirhams. <laughs> right. Um, I think that, you know, we should have tried that in the valley next door, tried both different one, you know, each way and see which one is more effective. And anyway, they had no interest in monitoring and evaluating. Um, they thought that if we evaluated the project, people will think we don't have confidence in our work. And it was, it was just really, uh, it was frustrating because there was a lot of potential, but it just was about not listening to the people, not really... It was like that missing link. And I really thought that the Moroccan staff cared a lot. They just didn't know what they didn't know. And they didn't, they liked to go up there. They liked meeting with the people, but it was, they were not, they were different. They were Mm -hmm. completely separated and they weren't accountable to them. There was zero accountability. Um, There still is on these organizations who come in and, you know, they uh, interfere in these vulnerable communities and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. But either way, there's no accountability for it. So, and I met some teachers up there. Um, and, I, you know, I, I got to know our staff as well. And I just thought that, and they wanted to be Peace Corps volunteers. I was telling them about how I had lived there as a Peace Corps volunteer. And they thought that mm-hmm. it was such a great idea. Can I be a Peace Corps volunteer? You know, and, and it just occurred to me that the best way to do development is living in communities over a long period of time and asking them what they want. In this village, on this project, on this trip, actually, we met with the farmers, and they thanked us for this project, but they said, we need a bridge. There's a school on the other side of the valley that the kids can't get to in the wintertime. Can you help us build a bridge? And I'm thinking, great. You know, that's what, that's what they want. Mm-hmm. Um, I went back, and, you know, my boss was like, sorry, USA doesn't fund bridges. We're not doing it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, more than that, Maybe a bridge is not what they want. What I thought we should, ha- we should do is send a volunteer to that village to live there and ask the people. They say they want a bridge. Okay, well, maybe it's cheaper to build a school on this side of the valley. Or maybe, you know, there's a different solution. But just sort of listening to the people and helping them come up with different um, options and figure it out for themselves. And so that's what our, that's what our volunteers do. Mm-hmm. It was that experience that really, that, that vision of having, and actually we haven't had a volunteer in that village yet just because it's logistically hard to reach, and we haven't done that yet. I hope to. Um, I don't know if they still want a bridge. But the idea of going in without a preconceived agenda, without, you know, we're going to get your girls in school, um, and, you know, we're going to come up with an interesting way to do that, all of it came from, you know, the offices in the capital cities, and mm-hmm. then they decided to implement it in these villages. Nothing came from the people. And do they even want their girls in school? Yeah. I mean, most of the communities that I know that don't have their girls in school, it's for economic reasons, it's that mm-hmm. they need them to stay home and help with the rugs or help, you know, with the, with the farming. 
Um, so it's a choice. They would like to send their girls to school, but it's a luxury. So if we help them with their economic issues, then that will get the girls in school rather than sort of encouraging them, which is, as an outsider, I don't know if it's appropriate, but it's certainly not sustainable. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. when you founded Core Africa, did you start in Morocco? Morocco was the first country? Yes. Okay. And People ask me why Morocco, and I say because that's where Peace Corps sent me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I know it. So <laughs> It's a great country to start Core Africa. There are so many highly educated young people who are eager to find their place in the world and be Core Africa volunteers. And, and there's money in Morocco. Another thing about what we do is that we're committed to raising money in the countries where we work. Mm-hmm. Part of the problem was that it was USAID that was funding this, and they want girls' education because that's what Congress wants. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I think that the only real long-term solution for for Africa is for them to own their own development and pay for it themselves. Um, and we do that at the grassroots level with the communities. They have to pay 10% of the cost of the project themselves in cash so that they're customers. It changes the entire dynamic and the incentives for what they want. Um, and also getting funding from the countries where we work. Our big funder is a Moroccan company, and they were sponsors from the beginning. And they gave us a big grant two years ago to expand to Senegal and Malawi. And they understood that there's not a culture of philanthropy yet in Senegal and Malawi, and they paid for everything, all the overhead, all the volunteers, everything. Um, And this year, they're providing, um, they're paying for all the overhead and some of the volunteers, and we are working with local funders to match that. So we start to encourage local local countries to sponsor the volunteers themselves. Mm -hmm. And then as opposed to Peace Corps, where a volunteer serves for two years, the volunteers in Core Africa are one year. One year. Okay. But they have PST, a month of PST. Mm-hmm. Um, they have two ISTs in service trainings. They have a COS. Mm-hmm. Um, we try to do everything like Peace Corps does. Peace Corps is, you know, incredibly helpful. No, I was watching some of the videos of the COS ceremony that you guys have on uh-huh. uh, your website. Good thing I speak French because uh, yes. it looks like all the videos I was watching were in French. Oh, uh, the Senegal videos were yeah. in French, yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. but I was like, oh, that looks exactly like what I went through. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's so great. I mean, it, I think it's wonderful that they want to be Peace Corps volunteers. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's the best thing that we do in our aid is to create a model of something for other countries to to um, take on for their own, for themselves. Um, I do think, you know, as cynical as I am of international aid, I do think that uh, it's come a long way, that there are so many highly educated young people in these countries. Mm-hmm. 50 years ago, there were two college graduates in some African countries, and now there's 10 universities, and they have educated young people. And, you know, the health um, of the countries is much higher, um, that they, I think they're ready to start taking the lead which is really exciting, and we want to give them the chance to do that. Mm-hmm. And so for each of these programs, like for in Morocco, it's Moroccans serving in Morocco and Senegalese serving in Senegal, or, because it looked like <laughs> there were some that there was Moroccans serving in Senegal, or... Yes. Yeah. So um, explain, the explain policy that now is once you serve for a year in your own country, then you can serve in another core African country. So for the first group in Senegal, we had 10 Senegalese. Mm-hmm. And since we had alumni in Morocco, we had 10 Senegalese and two Moroccans. Mm-hmm. Um, in Malawi, we had 10 Malawians and two Moroccans. Uh, this year um, in Senegal, we want to have 20 Senegalese, four Moroccans and two Malawians. Mm-hmm. So start to bump up uh, the exchange volunteers is what we call them. 
Um, and same thing with uh, Malawi, 20 Malawians, four Moroccans, and two Senegalese. Mm-hmm. Um, and I hope in Morocco to have 40 Moroccans and two Malawians and two Senegalese. So it'll be very interesting sending Africans, sub-Saharan Africans to Morocco. It's very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Moroccans. just how, how they're perceived in country. Yeah, interested to That's hear about that start dynamic. Small and give them a lot of attention and support, and make sure that we're doing it carefully and respectfully. Um, I think that the four, um, the two Senegalese and two Malawians, will go to probably my valley where I serve, where we've had a lot of Korafrika volunteers. People understand us; they know us; they know what to expect, and mm-hmm. so we'll just put them in well-selected areas. And I mean, it's going to be hard. There are a lot of issues. Um, but I feel my feeling is that that's 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 why we have to do this. Mm-hmm. And we really can be part of the solution. Our Moroccan who served in Senegal, he spoke perfect Wallaf. He lived in a small village. Um, he had served in Morocco first, and he was a fine volunteer. He didn't stand out. He did a good job, but in Senegal, he was a total star. And he, he even told me, he said, in Senegal, I became a man. I mean, that transformative experience of serving in another country mm-hmm. um, and moving to a village, not speaking the language, um, you know, and, and just getting to know a culture so different from your own. Um, it's really powerful. He went back to Morocco. Um, we had a conference, actually, we brought all the Senegalese and Malawian volunteers and staff to Morocco for an 11-day conference. And when he was there, he went back to his, his city where he's from, and he met a Senegalese on the street who was selling goods on the street, and he started talking to him in Wallaf, and the guy just started crying. He'd never met a Moroccan. He'd lived there for five years. He'd mm-hmm. never met a Moroccan who spoke Wallaf. And it turned out that he was from a small village right near where Adnan was serving. So he went back to Mm -hmm. his village in Senegal and went to visit this guy's family and that kind of thing. That's a Peace Corps story. We hear that kind of stuff all the time, and it's Mm -hmm. absolutely incredible. Um, And it's hard to calculate the impact of something like that. But if we can scale up and have a lot of... We want to have 250 volunteers a year in every African country in 10 years a mix of people serving in their own country and in other African countries. Mm-hmm. Um, and if we can do that, 13,500 across Africa every year, yeah, we'll have lots of stories like that. Mm-hmm. And like Peace Corps, we will actually make the world a better place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So are there any new new countries? So you're in three countries right now. There, yes. Do you have a short list of where you're going next? I do have a next? short list. As part of this next, next grant, which was just approved, mm-hmm. um, It's scouting trips to Liberia and the Gambia, which we want to do quickly because Mm -hmm. of historic opportunities. Um, Also to Botswana, Rwanda, Ethiopia, and Tunisia. Mm -hmm. Although um, we are starting also a strategic planning process for six months to really look at everything and make sure that our goals are doable and figure out how we're going to do that. So maybe we'll decide to expand to 10 countries next year, or maybe we'll decide that we should stay in these three countries for another five years. I, I want to be open to every opportunity, but um, it'll be helpful for us to have this process and really agree as a board that this is what we want to do and you know, come out with a business plan to make it happen, which I hope will get funded. Mm-hmm. And then volunteers, when they're serving, do they have sectors like we did as volunteers? That's the biggest way we differ from the Peace Corps. They do not have sectors. They okay. go in without a plan. No mm-hmm. preconceived agenda. 
we train them in something called human-centered design, mm -hmm. which is a problem-solving technique, sort of a structure to the facilitation process. Um, and it's the volunteers really love it. The first year I just said, just ask people what they want, you know, <laughs> facilitate community meetings. And we told them how to facilitate a community meeting, but this is really a really helpful approach. One of the things that is most helpful for the volunteers is that they're, they're taught that it's supposed to be a messy process. You know, mm -hmm. that's okay. And they, they're given tools to sort of manage the, the personalities and the different stakeholders and help people come to a consensus. So just that problem-solving skill is really valuable. Um, and, you know, the, the experience of going through this for the volunteers and the critical thinking skills and the problem-solving skills and all of that stuff that they do themselves is really um, an important educational experience for them mm -hmm. and then after they've completed the, the program a year so i mm -hmm. guess they have an opportunity as an alumni now to go to it to another country and, and serve yes. potentially and what other opportunities do you see these volunteers having or doing you know do you have any success stories that you'd mm -hmm. like to speak to of you know that what they've created post core Africa. Yep, that's that's what I that's what keeps me up at night. I mean, that is really our most important focus right now because um, in Africa, these kids they need jobs. It's mm -hmm. this is core Africa is more than anything else a jobs organization. We want its job training experience. We want our former volunteers to get and and succeed at high quality jobs, and for them to become job creators themselves. That's what core Africa can bring. That's how Core Africa can be part of the solution. Not all of them are going to do that. Like Peace Corps volunteers, they're going to go into all fields, and I want them to. I, I especially want them to go into government mm -hmm. and to NGOs, but whatever they want to do, I'm happy with, as long as they do their best. <laughs> um, but we are starting to focus on the Alumni Association. We want to create scholarship opportunities. We want to create an, an entrepreneurship incubator fund, which would be a fund to um, invest in job creating ideas that volunteers have and not just invest, but help support them mm -hmm. uh, to do that. So we are hiring a first a, a headquarters staff person to be based in Morocco to, to be the alumni coordinator and to keep track of all the volunteers, what jobs they're getting, um, helping them to help their peer volunteers get jobs, um, host networking receptions. We want to create professional development training, what we're calling COS 2.0, which would be six months, a year, two years after their service to bring them back together for like a two-week intensive job training retreat, um, working with a lot of organizations um, that have uh, job training skills, uh, but, but tailored for the special unique Core Africa experience, helping them understand their service, their special skills, um, and be able to talk about their service and reflect on it and and sell themselves in interviews and, and the importance of being on time. I mean, the Core Africa experience, like Peace Corps, it's not really made for a professional job. Um, but we also want to take the opportunity of their year of service and give them more professional training during the course of the year. A lot of our volunteers in Morocco don't speak French very well. They speak better English than they do French, which is interesting. But if they want to get jobs when they get out in Morocco, they need to speak French. Mm -hmm. And we can teach them French over the course of the year. We require monthly reports. We can take those opportunities to make sure that they're, you know, help, help improve their writing skills over the course of the year. That's something that we should be doing for them. And, and they, they're very open to it. I mean, they really... They recognize the practicality of the job market when they get out, and they want to um, give themselves a leg up. Mm -hmm. 
I'm working really hard to create uh, prestige for Core Africa service that comes from our volunteers getting and succeeding at good jobs and getting graduate degrees. A lot of them go to graduate school. We have one who was working with me um, in the office the last two years who was a volunteer the first year in Morocco. She just left to go to uh, the Fletcher School at Tufts to get a master's in international business. Wow. So, yeah, that's a success story. Mm -hmm. We'd like to create scholarship opportunities for our volunteers mm -hmm. um, to do things like that, not just at U.S. universities, but universities in Morocco. There's plenty of excellent universities in Morocco, Senegal, Malawi, and all across Africa. Mm -hmm. So, and Europe, wherever. <laughs> and then I just know that a lot of People that are listening to this show are going to be return volunteers that maybe yes. they served in Morocco, Senegal, yes. Malawi. What opportunities are there for return volunteers to maybe get involved or help or support? Or do you have any avenues that people that are listening to this show can, mm -hmm. can help you in your mission? Well, absolutely. Um, the Peace Corps in the U.S., and we do fundraise in the U.S., and we target the Peace Corps and the African diaspora communities. Um, we also target corporations who do business in Africa. Um, but we, we have launched recently something we're calling the Pay It Forward campaign. We, we want this effort to come from all of us. We want Core Africa to be something from RPCVs paying the Peace Corps forward by giving Africans and, and eventually Asians and South Americans and all people um, the chance to serve like we did in their own countries. Um, we all knew, or most of us knew, people who would ask us if they could be Peace Corps volunteers because they wanted to help their country and we had to say, no, I'm sorry, it's only for Americans. And now they don't have to do that. Now they can say, yes, you could be a Core Africa volunteer. Um, so we started this Pay It Forward campaign and really what it's about is... Um, Ideally, monthly donations, $10 a month, just um, it's that long-term predictable support over the course of the year that's so important to provide a solid base to give us the flexibility and the strength to you know, be um, res re responsive and flexible to do what we need to do. Um, it could be quarterly, it could be you know, annually, but it's the automatic, so the Pay It Forward campaign is really the automatic donations, um, which is, I think, really powerful. Mm -hmm. Um, we also have this Holbrook campaign with tribute to Ambassador Richard Holbrook, who, if you know who he is, he was a famous U.S. ambassador who um, unfortunately died suddenly in 2011 or 20, the end of 2010, just as I was getting Crawford off the ground. And he had introduced me to my first board chair, who was a volunteer under him. And so we created a tribute to Ambassador Holbrook, and actually that's how we got started. It's donations in his name to launch Core Africa in Morocco, where he had served early in his career as Peace Corps director mm -hmm. and said it was the best job he ever had. So it's a really meaningful and powerful tribute to him. Um, so now part of the Holbrook campaign is we're starting a mentorship program. Um, we want to link former Core Africa volunteers with volunteers serving their countries, but also former Peace Corps volunteers to be a mentor to volunteers serving the countries where they had served to give them advice and help them along when they first get to their sites and, and, and to help them professionally when they're done. So there's lots of ways we want to tap into the enormous um, potential of this Peace Corps community to be part of this, not just financially. Mm -hmm. And anybody who's listening who's interested in finding out about this mm -hmm. on the MyPeaceCorpsStory.com, I'm going to have links to uh, the website and Great. all of these different things so people can easily find those and you know if they want to donate or just find out more so definitely go there in the show notes and you can find that yeah it's you know Peace Corps is my first target audience because volunteers know better than anyone 
you know, the realities of these communities and of the developing, the development world, the aid world mm-hmm. and how frustrating it is. And this, this whole thing started with a cynicism of the aid community. Mm-hmm. But I really believe that this can be part of the solution. And, you know, as, as frustrated as I was, um, it turned that all around when I came up with something that I thought could be actually part of the solution. Um, and so we work with all these different NGOs. Um, we don't do anything ourselves. We're like Seinfeld. We're, we're, <laughs> we're an organization of nothing. Our volunteers go in and they listen to communities, and then they connect them to the resources. And we really count on those, the vast resources of the NGO community, especially their expertise and their desire to help. So our volunteers, as part of training, they, they learn about all these different NGOs and government organizations, et cetera. Um, and then they when they have a project around water or whatever it is, if it's a water project that they want, they go to the water NGOs and they learn all about the different options and then they, they might work with them on a project. So, and then they go to this NGO and say, we, we want to do this well, can you help us do this well? Rather than an NGO that builds schools going to a community and saying, do you want a school? It's the wrong question. Who's going to say no to a free school? But mm-hmm. there are lots of communities where a school is their top priority. So we just want to match the communities with the buy-in first to the NGOs with the resources to help, who have all the good intentions to help. So, okay. Yeah. And then before we close out the show, is there is there anything else that you want people to know that are that are listening? Um, well, I mean, I think the Peace Corps audience, which I assume a lot of the people listening to your podcast are are PCVs, I think that they know better than anyone, you know, that these young people in these communities are just like us. That they are just phenomenal, and they they deserve the opportunity to help their own country, and they, you know, the chance to you know to have this transformative experience and to you know find their place in the world is, it's it's the least they deserve, and we we have proven through Core Africa that you know when we give them the opportunity to serve, and they learn just like we do, that um, they gain as much as they give, and mm. that's really important thing for them, and and I want all Peace Corps volunteers to help us do this. The Peace Corps community, um, it's an extraordinary community of people. Mm-hmm. And a big reason I started Corps Africa was, you know, 20 years after my service, it was so striking how, how Peace Corps experience has helped me personally as well as professionally. And that's what we want to create in Africa, this community of Africans who have been through this, you know, extraordinary experience. And, you know, I could meet somebody who served in Guatemala in the 60s, and we'll talk all night about our shared experience. And, you know, there's the walls come down, and it's a family. And that's really powerful, and that's what we want to create in Africa. And I think that our PCVs get that. Well, I thank you very much for taking the time to speak with me today, and I think people are really going to enjoy hearing uh, your story and then about Core Africa. Yeah, thank you very much for the opportunity. Um, yeah, we have a website, www.corpsafrica.org. Lots of videos. There's a blog that the volunteers write from their sites. Um, and um, it's a lot to look at and read about. And we'd love to hear from you. Yep. So everybody can find that and more in the show notes for this episode. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, just once again, thank you very, very much. Thank you. Thanks for doing this. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Once again, if you want to stay better connected with me and the My Peace Corps Story podcast, head on over to MyPeaceCorpsStory.com. If you want to know my personal Peace Corps story, please check out my new book, Service Disrupted, available on Amazon. Every volunteer has a story. What's yours? <laughs>